If you've been with us uh, over the last few weeks, you know that we've been kind of in a series of talks where we're talking uh, about the importance of growth. And specifically that summer is a time that actually has shown that kids actually grow more in summer than they grow throughout the rest of the year. And people have studied this and they found that there's a reason for it. And the reason that people grow more over the summer is that there's often less stress. There's less schedule. They genuine, genu- oh my goodness, generally eat more food and take in more nutrients. And so their bodies respond to that greater level of rest. They respond to that greater level of nutrients. And the result is growth. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about how growth is something that happens whether you are intentional about it or not. Your body grows. Your mind grows. But you can be intentional about the things that you grow in. And so for the first week, we talked about the environment that was necessary for growth. We we talked about how when a seed is planted, it needs a certain environment in order to grow in a healthy manner, that that it needs certain nutrients, that it needs a certain type of soil, it needs a certain type of water, it needs certain things to grow in a healthy way, and that we are the same. We need a certain environment that we need to enrich in order to grow in the way that God has called us to grow. We talked about how sometimes those seasons of being planted can feel like a season of darkness. Sometimes that season of being planted can feel like nothing is actually happening when really your roots are growing deep down into the soil of your life. And then last week, we talked about the importance of growing in empathy, that, that in the world that we live in, it's necessary for us to have the ability to step into someone else's shoes and experience their reality in order to respond in the way that Christ would have us respond. And this week, we're going to continue talking about growth. But often when we talk about growth, we talk about how we grow. We talk about what it looks like to grow. We talk about the things that we do in order to grow and then the measurements that let us know that we are growing. But I think an important question that we often neglect when it comes to growth is the question of why is it important that we grow? Why is it important that we invest in our lives spiritually? Why is it important that we grow? And this is a question that somewhere along the line we stop asking. Because early on in our life, it's the only question we ask. I know this because I have a two-year-old. And the only question she ever asks is why. She constantly asks why. In fact, she has a lot of words that she uses, but there is probably no word that she uses nearly as much as the word why. She doesn't really care what I'm doing or how I'm doing it. She doesn't want to know that. She just wants to know why I'm doing it. And so she'll come up to me when I'm making coffee and she won't ask what I'm doing. She doesn't want to know how I'm doing it. She'll just literally point to what I'm doing and say, Daddy, why? Daddy, why? And I'll say, well, Dad's making coffee. Why? Well, because daddy likes coffee. Why? I just, you know, I like the way coffee tastes. Why? And, and it gets to a point where you start to question yourself. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, dad likes co- Dad's kind of sleepy in the morning, so he needs to wake up. Why? Well, I don't know. Now that you ask, it's like she's a little two-year-old philosopher asking these questions about my life. I, you know, maybe I don't know why. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I should be sleeping more. Maybe I'm not sleeping well. Maybe I should look into this. And it's why after why after why. But somewhere along the way, we get very involved in the what and we get very involved in the how and we quit asking the question why. 
But when we talk about growth, we, we see this idea of growth everywhere in culture. All you have to do is see a magazine rack or be on Instagram or be on Facebook or Twitter or anywhere to see that the personal growth movement is alive and well that everybody is interested in letting you know how you need to grow personally, how you need to orient your schedule in order to grow personally, the things you need to eat and drink to, in order to grow personally. There are personal growth experts for days if you look around. Everyone is looking at personal growth. And this movement really started in the 1960s with what people then called the human potential movement. And it was basically this idea that it seems like we're all working for someone else, and it seems like we're all just cogs in someone else's machine, but perhaps what we need is the potential that is lying dormant in each of us. And so how can we personally grow to take more responsibility for our lives? And the root of that idea is very healthy, that in fact, God has placed potential inside of you, that, that God has put something inside of you that, that can lay dormant if you don't tap into it. The only problem with the personal growth movement is that it generally stops at the personal part. That, that it points all of the purpose for your growth inward at yourself. And what I want to kind, of, to kind of pose to you today is this idea that in order for our growth to have impact, in order for our growth to have significance, we need to view our growth as missional, not personal. That, that we need to view our growth as missional, not personal. That when we have personal growth, what we will ultimately find is that we may grow personally, but we will still often find ourselves unfulfilled. And it's incredible that in this season, in this time where it's said that the personal growth movement is a $14 billion industry, it is alive and well, and people are giving and paying money for it. And yet we live in a time where people are, are almost as unhappy as they've ever been in history. How is it that we can be so focused on our personal growth and yet so unhappy? How is it that we can be so focused on our personal growth and yet so unfulfilled? And it's because we stop at this idea that our growth is personal when our growth was meant to be missional. Our growth was meant to look outwards at other people, not just ourselves. This is why when it comes to the writers of scripture, I've always loved Luke. Luke is interesting, and he stands out as one of the writers of Scripture because he is the only Gentile writer of Scripture, which means that when he was writing Scripture, there were a lot of people who believed that he should not be able to belong to God, that the Jews were, were God's chosen people, and he was a Gentile, so he would have immediately been seen as an outsider. But Luke was extremely educated, and some people are surprised to find out that Luke is not an eyewitness to the gospel. He was not present when he was, when Jesus was working his miracles. He was not one of the 12 disciples. He was one of Paul's followers after Jesus, who he then went and he studied what he had heard about Jesus. But what's interesting about Luke is that he was a doctor, and so he was extremely intentional. He was extremely thorough, and so he went to the people who were eyewitnesses, and he kind of gathered their stories. And, and even historians who are outside of Christendom, who don't necessarily believe the stories of Jesus, look at Luke's writing and say that his history is extremely accurate. 
that, that what Luke says about just what took place in history, the events surrounding the life of Jesus are all continually verifiable when new information comes, when new sources come. His writings continue to be verified that he was this incredible historian because he was so intentional about his writing. He was so intentional about, uh, about what he was interviewing people, the questions he was asking, what he was including was with great intention. But there's also something else about Luke's writing that, that makes him stand out, which is this Gentile perspective that always focuses on the outsider. Like As you read Luke's gospel, Luke is the one who, who talks about Jesus going after the one sheep when he still has 99. Luke is the writer that talks about the woman who looks for the one lost coin. Luke is, is constantly pointing out that the purpose of what Jesus was doing on this earth was for the one who did not yet know. That every area of growth that Jesus brought into our lives was for the purpose of the one who did not yet know. This was the perspective that he wrote from in Scripture. And this is why I specifically like Luke's account of when Jesus gave us what we now know, excuse me, as the Great Commission. That, that, that there's this moment in the Gospels that we actually base the mission of Harbor Church on. We say we exist to make disciples. This comes from this moment where Jesus has been crucified and he's been resurrected and now he's with his followers. And before he ascends back into heaven, he looks at his followers and he says, go into all the world, preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. He says, make disciples of all nations. And that language is fairly consistent throughout the Gospels, except when it comes to Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts and recounts this moment in the opening chapter of Acts where Jesus is about to ascend, and, and he uses a little bit of different language than the go-into-all-the-world language that we're so often familiar with. If you turn to Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, Luke says this, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said, it is not for you to know the times, or the dates the father has set by his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. Now see what's interesting about the language that Luke uses is that while the other gospels say, go into all the world and make disciples, Luke is careful to say, no, this is not just all the world. These are specific places. Go to Jerusalem, go to Judea, go to Samaria. He named specific places. Now, the reason this would have been significant in this time, the reason this would have been significant in this day is that because for some Jewish Christians, for some Jews who were followers of Jesus, when they heard the command to go into all of the world, there would have been some of the world that they would have excluded from their thinking, that they would have thought as go into all the world as go into all of my world. And how often do we view that command the same way? How often do we view it not as go into the world, but I'll just go into my world. 
I will go into the world that I am comfortable with. I will go into the world that I define as, as necessary, as needing the gospel. I will go into my world. See, in this time, there were some Jews who were so divided with the Gentiles that they would have only viewed the Jewish communities as their world. And so to say, go into all the world, they could easily just say, well, we'll go to all of our Jewish friends. But Luke is intentional about saying these are specific places that you need to go. And what you realize is in this moment, Jesus is just talking to a handful of people. He's not talking to a great crowd. And the task is seemingly impossible. He's saying, go into all the world, go locally into Jerusalem, go a little farther into Judea, then go to Samaria, and then go to the ends of the earth. And what I think we have to realize is that often growth begins with a seemingly impossible task. That often growth begins when we're underwater. Growth begins when we think that there is no way we could possibly do what we're being asked to do. And that's what's happening in this moment with the disciples is that Jesus is saying, do something that seems impossible. And in order to do it, they're going to have to grow. In order to do it, they're going to have to grow. And he gives them some specific instructions on how to do that. A couple weeks ago, we, we took our girls to, to Disney, and our girls love Disney, and the older two have been many times, but this was Olivia's first trip. She's only two years old, and, and she loved it, man. She loved the aerial ride, and she loved the barnstormer and kind of all the littler kid rides, and, and she, was, she was probably about three to four inches too short for some of like the more intense rides. And as we would go up to those rides, the girls who have, who have ridden them and who love them, they love Space Mountain and they love the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. They just love these rides and they would check and see if she was 48 inches and she was just not quite there. And, you know, we would try to put the hair up on top of the head. Sometimes they'll fall for that. Sometimes they won't. We try to make sure she had her thickest shoes on, but it just wasn't happening. She wasn't quite there. And my oldest daughter, Isabella, said, you know, this trip was really, really fun, but I'm excited about a couple years because when she grows a little more, there's more that she can go on. Like when she grows a little bit more, there's more that she can do. And the same is true for you and I, that, that so often when God calls us to something, we have to grow a little in order to do it. That when God says, go into all the earth, there is a grow that is connected to that go. That you can't just go exactly as you are, but that you need to grow in some areas before you can actually do what he's called you to do. See, while, while we were riding Space Mountain, while we were riding the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, uh, Kristen and Olivia were just riding the teacups over and over over and over. And it, and it had to be her, unfortunately, because if I did that, I would vomit everywhere. I can't handle the teacups. I don't know what happened. Once I got past 30, I couldn't do that much spinning. And so they were just going on the teacups over and over and over because that is the level of growth that she could enjoy. That is the level of growth that she could handle. And I think what's interesting often about our walk with the Lord is that sometimes we are begging God to do more with our lives. We are begging him to send us. We are begging him to use us. And he's just asking us to grow first. And so we find ourselves riding the proverbial teacups over and over, wondering why God isn't using us when all along we are refusing to grow into what he's invited us into. That, that what God has called us to is endless, and yet our growth has to pair up with what he has called us to. See, our willingness to grow is what determines our ability to go. 
It's our willingness to grow that determines our ability to go. And the reality that we don't always want to face is that God always grows us before he grows our assignment. That God always grows us before he grows what he calls us to do. And, and we don't like that because growth is painful. And growth is unfamiliar. And growth is awkward. And growth is clumsy. When I was growing up, uh, my mom would buy my shoes at Payless Shoes. And I hated going there because I, I don't know if they still, I don't know if this, they, they have like this silver thing that they put on your foot to measure your foot. And it never failed. I was never a big person, but my foot was always very wide. And so for kids, the options were limited. And so I had to buy shoes that were bigger than what I needed because my foot was too wide. And so they would always say like, oh yeah, you know, you really need this size, but because your foot is so wide, you got to go up a size. And my mom would always say a phrase that I absolutely hated to this day, which is don't worry, you'll grow into them. And I hate that phrase because what you'll grow into them means is that in the meantime, you're going to feel really silly. In the meantime, you're going to feel like you have clown shoes on. In the meantime, you're going to feel like you can't walk. While you grow into them, you will be extremely clumsy. While you grow into them, you will feel uncomfortable. While you grow into them, you will feel like you can't walk right. While you grow into them, you will feel like all eyes are on you and your giant clown shoes. There is nothing comfortable about you'll grow into them. And this is why in the scriptures, I love the story of Peter, which is kind of where this story picks up in Acts. It starts telling us about Peter because Peter is someone who all throughout the scripture, we can actually see moments of growth. We can see moments where he is growing into his assignment. When we first meet Peter, he is extremely zealous and extremely excited, and, and he will rush to do anything, but often he's moving too quickly. Often he's reaching for the sword. He's like ready to cut someone's head or ear off, and Jesus is like, whoa, that's a little tough. And, and he's got to be like reined in all the time. He's always saying the wrong thing. There's one moment where Jesus says to Peter, get, me get thee behind me, Satan. That doesn't seem good. There's all these moments where Peter is just kind of rushing the process. He's getting ahead and he's, he's making mistakes. And then he has this huge moment right before Jesus is crucified where he has the ability to identify with Jesus and say, yes, I was with him. And he's asked and he, and he fails miserably and denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And, and I love Peter because he's always messing up. So when he actually gets it right, we have an opportunity to see his growth. We have an opportunity to see how he is progressing in the call of God on his life. We, we see Peter go from clumsily denying Jesus to confidently preaching the word of God. And how do we get from the clumsy to the confident? How do we get from the you'll grow into it to, to feeling that level of confidence that, that Peter felt in these moments? See, I, I think that there's probably some of us in this room, there's some of you here this morning who feel a little clumsy in the season of life that you're in. You feel like you're growing into the season of life that you are in. You maybe came out of a season where you felt confident. You came out of a season where you felt sure of your path. You came out of your season where everything was predictable and now nothing is predictable. You, you feel uncomfortable. You feel like you haven't quite grown into the season of life that you are in. And can I just tell you that you are in good company? 
that, that, that you are not alone in this season. See, what I've found is though I haven't had many of these in my life, I've found that nothing really fits right in a growth spurt. Nothing really fits right. Your shoes don't fit right. Your pants don't fit right. Your shirts don't fit right. You would go and try to find something to wear, and it was just like nothing quite fit right. You're not big enough for the next size, but you're still too small for your last size, and just something is off. And we have to acknowledge that we go through these seasons in our own growth, in our own lives, where it just feels like nothing quite fits right. And often, these are the moments just before our greatest moments of growth. These are the moments just before we see the greatest fruit from what God is doing in our life. And if you look at when God, Jesus called his disciples to go into all the world, he gave them some very specific steps to take, some very specific areas in which they needed to grow in order to do it. And, and the very first thing they had to do was they had to change their perspective, they had to change their perspective. If you continue on in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 10, in this moment, Jesus ascends into the sky, and it says they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, this is an interesting moment because the, the disciples are essentially looking and Jesus is ascending into the sky. I mean, Jesus up until this point has now done a lot of things that they've never seen before. Jesus has opened blind eyes. He's opened deaf ears. He's risen the dead. He himself was crucified, buried, and resurrected. But I got to be honest, I mean, they've probably never seen anyone ascend into heaven. Like, have you ever watched a rocket launch? You can see it for a really long time. And I think about that when I think about this uh, verse of how, like, I feel like there might have been just some awkward time where it's like, I can still see him, but there's nothing I can, I don't know. I mean, how long do we, how long do we wait? You know, is he coming back? Is this permanent? Is this? And so the Bible says they're standing gazing at the sky. And the, the, the words there, the verbiage that are used there is almost like they're in a dead stare. Like my kids call it taking a trip. I call it like just checking out of reality for a minute. You know, when you're just sitting there staring and you're not really thinking about anything, you're just like off into nowhere and people are like, hey, hello, hello. This is what they were doing. They were staring into the sky and they're just standing there paralyzed. And then it says two men in white, which other places say were perhaps angels come along and say, hey, why are you staring into the sky? And I think it's interesting that it's almost like Jesus is like ascending and they're staring and then God's like, oh, I got to send people to tell them to stop staring. They're just staring. He literally just told them to go somewhere and they're just staring. They're standing there just looking and they're staring and someone comes along and says, listen, no, he's just told you what to do. He's told you to go wait in Jerusalem. So go do that. But I think often we get stuck staring at what we used to know as the solution to our problem. Like up until now, Jesus has been with them at all times. And so they can't really imagine a scenario in which they can move forward in preaching the gospel without him present. And yet he's just said, go into all the world. And then he leaves. I mean, easy for you to say, you ascended into heaven. Like you could do a lot of great things to help us reach the entire world. 
but you are leaving. But they had to change their perspective. They had to stop staring at what they used to know and switch their gaze to what God was calling them to do, which was to grow in the Spirit. That They first had to change their gaze, but then they had to grow in the Spirit. See, what Jesus had just told them to do was to go to Jerusalem and, and wait for the promise that his Father would send, which we know to be the Holy Spirit. And, and basically what God, what Jesus was saying in that moment was, there's no way you can reach the world unless you grow in the power of the Holy Spirit. That before you can accomplish what I'm calling you to do, you need more of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And we need to take personal responsibility for our own growth in the Spirit. That we need to grow in the Spirit of God. But, but what's interesting about when we talk about the Holy Spirit, like things can get weird real quick. And people can get real uncomfortable. But a lot of the language that surrounds our conversation about the Holy Spirit is, is very personal language. I want to experience more of the Holy Spirit. I want more of the Holy Spirit, and, and why would you not? The words that are used to describe the Holy Spirit in Scripture are, are comforter and guide and teacher. I mean, those are all things that we could all use. Why would we not want to be comforted? Why would we not want to be taught? Why would we not want to, to be guided? But the, the thing that I think we fail to realize is that the reason that Jesus was telling the disciples to go and receive more of the Holy Spirit was because he was the comforter, and they were about to need a lot of comfort because they were about to be in some very uncomfortable situations. He, he was saying that, that you need more of the Spirit because He is your guide and you're about to go some places that you have never been. He was saying you need the comforter and the guide and the teacher because you are going to experience some things that you have never experienced. See, sometimes we fail to realize that we actually need the Holy Spirit. That it is actually a need. It is not just an extra desire. See, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is not just to enrich the life of the believer, but to empower the life of the believer, to carry life to the unbeliever. That it's not just to enrich the life of the believer, but to empower the believer, to carry life to the unbeliever. Notice that, that it wasn't until Jesus said, I, I need you to go to the ends of the earth, that he said, you're also going to need the power of the Holy Spirit, that, that you're also going to need it. See, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus. So the purpose of the Holy Spirit in your life is to make your life point to Jesus, that it's to point to him. I mean, notice that Jesus said that you will go and be my witnesses. He, he actually didn't say you will go and witness. He didn't say you will go and do something. He said you will go and be something. You will be my witnesses when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon me. See, you, you can tell me of the work that the Holy Spirit has done in your life, or you can show me with your life. You can show me with your life. See, the Holy Spirit's activity in your life should not be based on what you have experienced. The Holy Spirit's activity in your life should be based on how people experience you. Don't, don't tell me that the Holy Spirit is doing an incredible work in your life if you cannot tell the truth. 
Don't tell me that the Holy Spirit is doing an incredible work in your life if everyone experiences you as mean and, and, and impatient and, 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 and not are short-tempered, unkind. If the Holy Spirit has done a work in your life, you shouldn't even really have to tell me about it. I should know by the evidence of your life. See, what I want you to realize is that, is that growing in the Holy Spirit is not just personal. It is missional. It is critical to what God has called us to do. See, we see one of these moments where Peter has this moment of growth. Peter has denied Christ. He, he, has, he has failed miserably, and they, they reconciled, and then now he goes, and he waits, and he receives the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 2, verse 14, it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. I, I love that Peter is so bold in this moment that he says, let me explain this to you. I mean, that phrase can come across like a little aggressive, like, let me explain this to you. And Peter goes from being this, this uh, insecure, unconfident person who denies Christ to standing up in front of thousands of his contemporaries and saying, hey, this stuff that's going on, let me be the one to explain this to you. And it came from the boldness that came from the power of the Holy Spirit. That it came from the boldness that he had in the power of the Holy Spirit. But see, Peter's boldness to preach followed his obedience to grow. That he had to first accept Jesus' invitation to grow in the Holy Spirit before he received the boldness to go and do what he had called him to do. And the same is true for you and me today, that we have an invitation to step deeper into our relationship with the Holy Spirit, not for the purpose of how it can enrich our lives, but for the purpose of how it can embolden us to take life to those who don't yet have it. We have to be able to grow in the Spirit. But also, there's, there's kind of this other aspect that we don't always realize in reading the Scriptures, which is that when Jesus asked them to go into all the earth, that they didn't just have to they didn't just have to change their point of view and they didn't just have to grow in the spirit they also had to grow beyond their own prejudices and preferences they also had to grow beyond their prejudices and preferences if you jump over to acts chapter 10 peter has been doing what Jesus said. He's been preaching the gospel. He's been, he's been making a way for people to find out more about Jesus. And, and Peter is sleeping, and, and he, he has this vision, and it's kind of a weird vision. And you have to understand that at this time, Jews had a very specific diet, that, that they only ate certain things. There were some things that were considered unclean. And, and he has this vision where God lays out a blanket of all of this food that he's not allowed to eat and basically says, come and eat. And Peter's like, no, I would never, like, we would never eat this. This is not something that a good religious person would do. And, and the vision just keeps coming, and it keeps coming where God says, no, eat. And finally, God says, don't call something that I call clean, unclean. And what he's basically saying to Peter in this moment is that the gospel is not just available for the Jews. It is also available for the Gentiles, and so he says, now I want you to go downstairs and there is a Gentile who is waiting for you and, and he wants to take you to his house and he needs to hear the gospel. And so Peter goes and in Acts chapter 10, verse 25 through 33, he says, 
As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are all well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded to you. Now now notice in this moment that the first thing that Peter says is that you know it's against the law for me to be here. You know that we have always understood that that we are clean and you are unclean and that we should not associate with one another. See, this was not an easy moment. First of all, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you go to someone's house and you think just they're going to be there, but then there's a group of people there. Nobody wants that. And it says that Peter goes and he's expecting Cornelius and Cornelius has grabbed all of his friends. And there is no more awkward place to be than when you know no one and they all know each other. So Peter walks into this place where he should not be to associate with people that he should not associate with. And notice that Cornelius says, the reason you're here is because God heard and answered my prayer. See, had Peter not been willing to step beyond his prejudices, had Peter not been willing to step beyond his personal preferences, the Gentiles would not have heard the gospel in this moment. That Peter had a choice to to either choose his prejudice and his preference or choose where God was calling him to go. And I think what we need to realize is that, that there are some people in our lives that whether we would acknowledge it or not, maybe we hold some prejudice and some preference against and that they are praying for God to move in their lives. And sometimes it's up to us whether we're going to step out of our prejudice, out of our preference to actually go reach the people that God has called us to reach. That we have to step out of the things that we have always thought were the case to go reach the people that God wants to reach. And I love that Cornelius says, it was good of you to come. It was good of you to come. Cornelius knows in this moment that the odds were Peter wouldn't come, that Peter shouldn't come, that that really it was against the law for him to come. This was not an easy moment. See, comfort zones can be kind of an interesting thing because what we see this moment just a few chapters earlier where, where Peter is preaching in front of thousands of people boldly. And so we assume that a small meeting in a house was was probably no problem. Can I just tell you that Peter's heart was probably pounding more crossing the threshold of Cornelius's house than it was standing up in front of a crowd of his peers. Those were his people. 
Those were the Jewish people. Those were the people that he's grown up with, that he has known. But he was stepping into a territory that he had been told not to go in his entire life. He was stepping into a territory that it was against the law for him to go. And it's easier to preach to thousands of people in your comfort zone than than a few people in a danger zone. And this is a moment where he had stepped outside of his comfort zone into a place that he did not belong in order to carry the gospel, but he first had to outgrow his prejudices and his preferences. What you'll find in the the very next chapter is, is that in Acts 11, Peter goes and he basically tells the other apostles that he went to this Gentile's house. He went to Cornelius's house and, and he preached the gospel to them. And it says, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized Peter and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. They criticized him. They criticized that he took the gospel to people they did not deem worthy of the gospel. See, what I want you to realize is that not everyone will be excited about the growth in your life. Not everyone will be excited with the progress that you make in your life. Not everyone will support that if you are going to grow into the place that God is calling you, if you're going to grow into actually being able to go and reach the people that God is calling you to reach, you are going to have to grow in spite of criticism. Because people who are slow to grow are often very quick to criticize. People who are still stuck in their old mindsets are often very quick to criticize. But in this moment, Peter embraces growth. And it's not long before the rest of the apostles say, you know, it is good that the Gentiles know of the gospel. But what it took was one person being willing to grow, one person being being willing to change their perspective, one person being willing to grow in the spirit, one person being able to grow beyond their prejudices and their preferences, one person who was willing to grow in spite of the criticism that they were facing. And my question for us today is, would we be those people? Would we be those people who commit to grow, not for our own personal experience, but would we be committed to grow so that we can go and reach the people that God has called us to reach? Will we be the people who embrace growth, not as personal, but as missional? Will we be the people who embrace growth so that others can know the love of Jesus Christ? Would you bow your head with me this morning?